This audio is from the Axis Church in Nashville, Tennessee, and is part of our sermon series from the Gospel of Luke, Learning the Real Jesus. For more information, please visit theaxischurch.org. This morning's scripture reading is from Luke chapter 11, verses 5 through 13. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. My name is Don. I'm one of the pastors here at the Axis Church and Axis Family. Welcome. Visitors, welcome. Uh, Jeremy is actually preaching this morning at his father's church uh, in North Carolina. So, I think about, he's either finishing now or or in the midst of preaching. Probably would have started about 10.30, so we want to lift him up in prayer, even as we speak about prayer. Uh, He will be back with us next week. I am up here to speak today on Luke 11, the 5 through 13 that you just heard, but we're going to get a running start and go back at what Brooks taught us last week on what we call the Lord's Prayer. So those first four verses of Luke 11... We will also kind of let that be our context this morning, because certainly that's the way Jesus had prepared this. I also want to tell you that it took a lot of prayer to get me up here today. Um, I, am, I love prayer, but just to be very honest with you, life crushes us. Me in particular, seems like in prayer, pushes me to the fringe of, of where I try to roll up my sleeves and get things done myself. And forget to pray. Um, so this week, with actually about Thursday, I texted Brooks, hoping he would say, "Oh, I'll take this from you." <laughs> Instead, you want to know what he said? "I'll pray with you." <laughs> so I understood and I yielded that God had more for me this week to sit in this text than probably I'm going to give to you. It was very humbling to be crushed under this weight and then realize that I'm up here. Speaking to you about prayer that I wrestle with. So I want you to know that that if you wrestle with prayer, you are not alone. In fact, that's where Brooks jumped off last week. He gave us some things that when we opened the text of of Luke 11, he actually said, I I hope you have a certain place you go to pray. Uh, For me, honestly, it's when I kind of start moving out of bed. I am conscious that, that the Lord has sustained me through the night. And so the edge of my bed is that certain place. I hope like Brooks wanted you, that you find a certain place that is, that is kind of quiet, that it's just you and the Father. 
He, he mentioned that, but then where it really hit me this week and last week, he said, also understand that, that we are all struggle with prayer and that you are not alone in that. All the way back, you can read Martin Luther's account where he prays for hours each morning, and yet he still struggles with the ability to pray and pray as he thinks is, is necessary. There, there's one passage where I think he, he writes that he goes eight days without prayer, and he's very convicted because there sits an audience who thinks, this guy must be a mighty prayer. And he realizes, I've not put pen to paper nor a prayer to God in eight days. Uh, and that's not where we are going to be, hopefully, because Brooks also said that this prayer formed identity for us, that, that as we see in that first verse that it says, as John taught his disciples to pray, Lord, teach us to pray. And so as Christian disciples, as learners is what that, that word literally means, as learners of Christ, we are to be praying people. We are to go to the Father with our needs and praises and in this format of, of understanding who He is and His glory. So, so when I say that, I, I also want to go back where Brooks was, that he said, some of you in this room are going to have issue with calling God Father because of our, hev our Heavenly Father being perfect, but yet our earthly fathers, me included, I have two children, are very imperfect, and some of them literally hurt us and some of us may even experience abuse and if you have that in your life we grieve that with you we grieve that with you and my heart would ask you to continue to seek help for that through christian brother or sister or counselor so somebody that can literally pray with you and today hopefully where we're going in the text is going to give you a new light on god the father because it ends with this if you being evil don know how to give good things how much more does your Heavenly Father know what you need? So we'll see that, but I do understand that that's Brooks set that context and it's very proper. He also said that this prayer that Jesus gives us reorients our hearts and minds. Knowing that God's name is to be hallowed, sacred. Knowing that God dwells in heaven and yet close to us. He said our jumping off point is to know He is very close to us. It reorients it reorients mind and heart. He also said that, that in that we could restructure life. That if we understand the portion of thy will be done rather than what I wish to be done, it would restructure your life. And with that, he said we would go to, to understanding how requests can be made. And of course, we have daily bread and forgiveness and then the protection of keep us from temptation and from the evil one. Brooks gave us a wonderful view of that, something that we could really hold on to. And that's where we're going to take our run, okay? When we come back, just before the two parables on prayer, we're going to dig in there just a little deeper also. But I also could not leave this without telling you how much Luke, I don't think, loves prayer, although I do think he loves, but he wanted us to understand the context of Jesus's prayer life so that we too might follow the master in this format. Not in a rigid, you need to pray exactly like this, but in ways that I see in the gospel, Jesus is seen praying in, in a persistent and perpetual manner. What do I mean by persistent? We will see contextually in the book of Luke that he prays persistently in the midst of stress. He goes to the Father. He pushes close. He is persistent in prayer in moving to the Father. 
It is perpetual. That if we see the number of times we see Jesus praying in the gospel, it almost looks uninterrupted. And I literally, Axis family, think it is a perpetual prayer life where we see this, a living dependency of Christ the Son on the Father for the purpose of being strengthened, not the purpose of going at it at ease, but to be strengthened in order to fulfill the will of His Father. And you see this contextually. Let's just look from one end of the other to Luke. You see it first in 321, chapter 321, at the baptism of Jesus. Jesus enters the water with John, begins to be baptized, and says, coming out of the water, He prays. Jesus prays. And the heavens are opened. And the Holy Spirit descends in bodily form as a dove on him. You need to capture this in your mind. That there's something unique about prayer ascending and the heavens open and the Holy Spirit descending. That there is an intimate connection between earth and heaven in prayer. That is a beautiful thought. As Jesus has just come out of the water praying. It reopens the Old Testament in that passage. Psalm 2 at least is, is echoed. And, and Isaiah 42, the servant song that calls my beloved son, because that's the voice that Jesus hears from heaven. My beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So we have a lot of dynamic even in chapter 3. But then in chapter 5, we see the next prayer of Jesus. 5 verse 16 in 5.16, it actually works together with chapter 6, 6.12. And those two prayers encompass something, if you want to look at them as bookends. They encompass conflict narratives, where Jesus is always in conflict with the Pharisees. Literally going at it, and they are attempting to, they become so angry, then they decide to kill him. But on the brackets, on, on the perimeter of that stress, Jesus is persistently praying. Both of those verses indicate ministry is ongoing. Just before 5.16, it's a su summary statement by Luke that he was healing and teaching multitudes. And then 5.16 says, and I'm going to give you my, my NASB version, says, as often as he would, he would go away to the wilderness to pray. In the Greek, it's, it's in participles, those ing words. So it gives us a vision of Jesus doing something in the moment and continuing. It, it literally says, and withdrawing, in other words, he's been in ministry just before conflict, and withdrawing, he would go into the wilderness and praying. It's an ongoing thing with Jesus, prayer, just before he's buffeted by this conflict. 6.12 ends that conflict, and we see him praying over the decision for the twelve, he prays all night. He withdraws to a mountain and prays all night over that decision. In prayer, we see the names. He comes down, he names the twelve who will carry out his ministry after he's gone. Into the book of Acts that, by the way, is full of prayer. Again, Luke writes that. We see that, and if you look at the names that Jesus is given and, and gives in front of a multitude, that these will be the apostles. The last one is Judas. And by parentheses almost it says, who is a traitor. In prayer, Jesus receives instruction, but he sees the cross. 
He sees where he's headed. Even in a momentous moment like the naming of 12 who would follow him. That comes in prayer. The next place we see prayer, 918, chapter 9, verse 18, we begin to see Jesus again alone going up, praying, and then coming back and asking a simple question, who do people say that I am? I truly believe he's praying for the revelation of this moment for his 12, that they see who he is. And of course, we know that story. Peter, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. And of course, Matthew tells us that that wasn't given by flesh, but through revelation. I believe that revelation came in prayer. Jesus, persistently, perpetually praying that the will of the Father might be done in a living dependency on Him, always moving forward. Later in that chapter, we see also on the mountain that, that as He prays, He takes Peter, James, and John up. He kneels to pray, and as He's praying... He is transformed, as Jeremy says, transfigured, but transformed into the brightness, the glory of God. A light so bright, the glory that he once had. While he was praying, again, we see an intimate connection between earth and heaven. While it seems like such a distance, prayer brings them together. We see that in 9 and then in 10, chapter 10 actually opens with Jesus asking the disciples to pray that the Lord of the harvest might send what? Harvesters into the field, for the fields are ripe. And at the end of that section, we see Jesus praying in the Spirit, rejoicing actually in the Spirit because of what had been accomplished. We see that when we see chapter 11, which we'll come back to, which is instruction on prayer. And we have a unique parable only in the Gospel of Luke. We will see another unique parable in chapter 18 about the persistent widow's prayer. But we'll also get in 18 a view of prayer from what a tax collector and a Pharisee and their stance before God. And, of course, the righteous Pharisee stands before God saying, I'm glad I'm not like everyone else. I am righteous. And he's pompous. And we have the tax collector who names himself as a sinner, not even coming near and not raising his head. And in utter humility, praying to the Lord. And Jesus says, who do you think came down from the temple justified? The stance is humility. It is understanding the position of the sovereign God. That is in 18, and then in 22, we see more prayer. We see in 22, the, the elements are thanked for. And, and as Jesus transforms this meal into what we call the Lord's Supper, a few verses later, he looks at Peter, and he literally says these words, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat. I'm going to tell you that I'm sure some of your weeks, like mine, you feel like sifted wheat. They would take wheat and they would throw it in the air so it would separate the, the grain from the chafe and the chafe would blow away. But it's a rigorous process. Some of your weeks are, are rigorous. Jesus responds to Peter, but I have prayed for you. Let that sink in. Oh, pastor, you are talking about Peter. Your homework today is to read John 17. There's a prayer there. 
for those who would come after through belief, for you. Listen to these words that Jesus, Jesus prays. Father, I, I do not ask in behalf of these alone who are with me, but for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one even as you and I are one, and you are in me, and I am in you. And the glory which you've given me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are. Please listen to this prayer. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and that you have loved them as you have loved me. Jesus prays that you would know that, brothers and sisters, so that when you go to God in prayer, He is your Father. You have been chosen and adopted in a beautiful way and are full heir of His kingdom. He desires you children to come to Him then in prayer. Peter, I have prayed for you. Put your name in there. I have prayed for you. You can do this. Jesus then prays again in chapter 22. When the disciples are weak, he tells them to watch and pray that they might not fall into temptation. That while he is off praying in Gethsemane, he asks them to pray and they are sleepy and they go to sleep during that. Later, he'll tell them to stand up and pray so that you don't fall into temptation. That, that word is used in chapter 4 when Jesus is sent into the wilderness to be tempted. It is, it is us exchanging something of God for something of this world, it seems like. So watch and pray, brothers and sisters. But more to the point is Jesus' prayer in the garden. More to the point is, is Him in agony. Only his, the intensity of the prayer is matched by the stress of what's coming. When He is sweating drops of blood, He says this, Father, take this cup from me. If there's any other way other than the cross, please, let that happen. Yet... Not my will, but yours. It's in our prayer today. Thy will be done. Jesus models this in Gethsemane. At the most pressing time of his life, he is persistent. He is perpetual in prayer. And this living dependency moves him forward into the will of God. To complete the work of God. The next time we see him praying, read that some. We'll get there someday, but Luke 23, it's a crucifixion. And the words of Jesus' prayer are so close to this that they stand connected. They led him to the place called the skull, Golgotha. And there they crucified him see him stretched out and as the nails are being put in his hand contextually he prays these words Father forgive them they don't know what they're doing forgive him this is in our model prayer today Father forgive us for 
not as, for we forgive those who are indebted to us. Jesus models this as he's dying. Final words of Jesus in chapter 23. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having done the work that he was supposed to do on earth, in the moment of death, the Son reaches back to the Father in an intimate connection, bringing heaven and earth together. That is context for what centers us here in Luke 11, where we see Jesus giving disciples a model prayer in hopes that we would do so, that we would be praying people. So as I say, I'm going to give you five P words, five P's, the way I was taught this years ago. This, this I literally was the, before I was a Christian, I, t- I memorized the Lord's Prayer because my mom said, you should memorize that. And I thank her for that to this day. Those five P's put us in a place where we can take a run at today's parables. Another P word. Didn't mean to do that. But, but what we have is five P's, okay? That if we will understand this prayer, Father who art in heaven, our Father who art in heaven, that if we understand His position, that there are two words, and I'm going to call them church words, but I will boil them down, that you need to chew on. Those two words I always take in tandem. In other words, I don't separate them in my prayer life. And they are transcendent eminence. That God is transcendent. That He orders the cosmos, the universe, as it will. He in Christ holds all things together. And yet, brothers and sisters, He is eminently present with you. He's close enough to give you breath and life for the day, and in your heart beating. So we don't need this view that you are in heaven, but the word Father draws us to that eminence and that closeness. So transcendent eminence. You are everywhere, but you are so with me. And that everywhere should really cause us to be calm because it's a sovereign thing. He is sovereign over all things, weather, movement of the, of the cosmos, he, and yet your life, transcendent eminence, our, our Father who art in heaven. So we recognize His position. We need to recognize purpose, His purpose, not our purpose. That if we understand Thy will be done, it will change, as Brooks said last week, we will reorient us, and we will change the way we think with His position as being holy, making His name great, and at the same time, we understand that it is His purpose And the purpose, therefore, has to be, well, then what is my purpose? And your purpose, I'm going to boil it down to to something like Isaiah 43, 7, is to glorify God, to bring glory to Him, to reflect His image, to, to, to move about the world in a way that people understand who God is, to make His name known. And I'm going to tell you, we struggle with this. I shared uh, with some people earlier that, that I, as an engineer, this week, have one of my most prized jobs that I've ever done being torn down and put in a dump truck and taken to the landfill. And I texted Susan a picture of it and I said, man, what is this all about? What glory did this bring to God? But I reflect on, a, on an author, A.W. Tozer. I love him. And this is my favorite quote from Tozer. And, and he says really that, that 
It's not what a person does that determines whether his work is sacred or secular. It is why he or she does it. Why he or she does it. Motive is everything. Let a person sanctify the Lord God in their heart and they will never do another common act. That is a powerful statement from a guy in the 40s. Sanctify the Lord God in your heart and you'll never do another common act. So, so I reflected that with Susan that, yes, the relationships I made 20 years ago are still with me that we made over that job. The job is being crated away truck by truck. But I made relationships that I'm still involved with and hopefully shedding some light here and there. So we understand position and purpose. And if we will do so, Calvin would say that we have understood the majesty of of God in such a way that the affections of the earth will become pale. And that's where we move to the next portion of the prayer, where we understand that, that the affections, what we think the world says we should have, entitled to, they, they fade away for the glory of God. And in that moment, what we can say is that we have been so focused then on, on the position and purpose of God that we move down and begin to understand our needs of provision, of pardon, and of protection. The last three P's. Of provision. Literally in the Greek. I love the way this says this. Give, instead of give us this day our daily bread, it is, it is the bread, the necessary bread of ours. Continue to give it to us. The word necessary is in there. The, like, just what I need for today. It is what Brooks said, and we sang last week. Give me neither poverty nor riches. It is, it is that, that song, that Proverb 30, yeah, 38, that, that we sing. It is so beautiful. Give us what is necessary. And then he moves to pardon. And when we see pardon, we, we understand that in the context of Christ on the cross. Forgive us our sins. Keep us in relationship, 1 John 1, 9, that we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to continue this intimate relationship. But at the same time, in, in, here in Luke, there's that three-letter word, for. We forgive those who are indebted, who owe us something. There's no more revenge. There's no more holding on to the past. There's a moving on as we can let things go in forgiveness. And brothers and sisters, this is freeing and liberating. So I encourage you to understand that. And then finally, there is protection. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Keep that from us, certainly. When we see all that given in this, in this short prayer, we can still not feel like we should pray. And I'm, when I say we, I am talking about I. Because I am one who, like I said, will roll up my sleeves and usually do anything before it seems like prayer. I can handle this. I don't know how I'm going to handle it, but, but I can handle it. That's not the role here that the Father desires. You are His child. Come to Him with everything. And, and when we see that, I, I was with someone this week who, who literally reiterated that, and it struck me. He, he's got... Problems, it seemed like this long, but then he goes, but I won't pray. I said, why? He says, God's too busy. 
isn't he? And you're talking about convicting, he asked me, because I'm just as guilty as this man of, I wanted to say yes, but then I had to fall back on what Brooks is making me preach today. I realize why I'm in this this week. He wants to hear you and be with you. Another one, I was with a group, and, and this young lady is undergoing treatment for cancer. She had told no one until this moment. And we asked her, why have you not shared this? She goes, well, I just think my problem is insignificant. Again, crushed me when I think about my problems. Because that's where I put them. This is insignificant, God. I'll, 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 I'll manage. I'll muddle through. That is not what your Savior is saying here. Come to Him beautifully in this manner of understanding His position and His majesty, and yet your needs make them known to God. Now we say that, and then we begin to open these short parables, which we'll finish with, and Jesus gives you these footnotes, I call them that, so that we might understand a position of the Father in contrast to even what, what we see now. And so when we open this, we see this standard Galilean scene where a man receives a friend at night, and he is ill-prepared for this visitor. Now, if you look around, look at some searches, you will find typical, typical Galilean homes, and they are, they're made out of stone, like these hard walls. They're made out of stone. They don't have nice windows and insulation like our homes, and so they're noisy. They have concrete wood roofs, but concrete-type floor. And, and you would hear this at night. You'd be able to hear any movement outside. There are no clothes. There's a locked door, but it, you can hear things. Just outside that would have been a, a contextually, if you would have thought about it, if that entry area was where the home was, they would have all been sleeping together, children, husband, wife, in a one- or two-room. Maybe there's a curtain between them. And a man begins to walk to the home. The man has been caught unaware that a visitor was coming. And if he doesn't respond in this first century situation, the shame on him the next day will be unbearable. The story will get around. And it's an honor and shame culture, so much so that some Roman writers write in the first century, you woke up every day saying, what can I do to bring honor to my family? That was your first thought. So here he doesn't want to be disgraced. He knows a man, a friend of his, who might have some bread. He is ill-prepared. So the first thing we recognize in this parable is there is a need. The man who goes for help has a need and he admits it. I'm so guilty of not admitting it. I'd rather take this off, roll up my sleeves. We're getting to the heart here of what Jesus is trying to tell us. There is a recognized need. He goes to a friend. This is relational. He receives a friend in the middle of the night, but he goes to his friend, someone he knows. You know the Father. You have His Spirit indwelling in you. He is yearning to hear from you. This man goes, and I can only see it in my mind's eye. I'm going to pretend that the friend who's asleep is named Simon. 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 Now, if I'm dad, I don't want the children to be awakened. 
surely you can relate to that. In the middle of the night, please go away. Please stop talking to me. The whole neighborhood heard you come to my house. Go away. In fact, I might even be guilty if we had lights of turning them off. <laughs> Nobody's home. What does the man do, though? Simon, I've received a friend, and I need some bread. I have nothing at my home. I'm in need. Simon, Simon. And this is where verses 9 and 10, the knocking comes after the asking. It is perpetual. By the verb tense, it means an ongoing process. It continues. The seeking and the knocking gets intense. Until what does it say the man finally does? He's saying, everyone is asleep here, but now you've woken the house. And he gets up for importunity. That's a big word that means shameless boldness. He comes shameless. You are my friend, though. And boldness. I knew I could come here for help. This is so vertical, but we're seeing it in a horizontal frame here. So much so that if that guy's like me and I'm Simon, I try not to give you anything. Jesus is saying, how much do you not think your father wants to give you? You say, well, I'm praying all the time now, some of you. There's no answer. Why is my prayer delayed? Puritan Pastor Thomas Watson writes on delayed prayer. He uses one of Proverbs 15.8. God delights in the prayer of the upright. He says it's like meeting a musician on the street. You don't immediately give him something for playing. You love the sound of it so much. Man, my heavenly Father loves my prayers so much. He wants to hear it. He delights in it yes brothers and sisters that's what this parable is teaching us why else might there be a delay you're looking at an example this week i literally send a text to brooks i'm struggling with a text man brooks is like i'm going to pray for you oh was i humbled maybe it's delayed just to work on my humility and to make me prize the mercy and grace of God that will come. If I'm praying according to His will, He is not a genie in a bottle that I can manipulate. My first stance is understanding His position and His purpose for the world and me in it. So I understand I am meant to be in living dependency of moving through this in persistent and perpetual prayer that I might continue the work of God. This is beautiful. But he does ramp it up here. Ask, seek, knock. He does tell us to be persistent in prayer. Again, your heavenly Father loves this and desires this of you. And he gives us one more in case you're like me and a little bit thick and need to hear more on prayer. Suppose one of you fathers out there, I have two children. One of, their, one of you fathers, have your, one of your children come up and ask something of you. In particular, these are necessary items, aren't they? They are bread, a fish, and an egg. They are all needed sustenance. You would not give them a stone, serpent, or scorpion, would you? Brothers and sisters, hear this. If you then, 
I'm raising my hand. Being evil, an evil dad, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit? The divine connection of heaven and earth. That catches me off guard. I, I want the thing that I ask for. He's saying he's going to grant me the spirit. I want the thing. I'm going to end with a truth from parenthood from Susan and I. My children, when they were in desire, dire need, didn't ask for the next toy, video game, bicycle, or car. They asked for mom and dad. They asked for our presence. When they were in distress, they, did, they, they didn't ask for whatever the culture is meant for us to have. They wanted us to comfort them. They asked for peace. We couldn't always give that peace. It was always delayed. But you know what we could give them? Presence. P-R-E-N-S-E-N-C-E. -E -E. Our presence. God is saying that here. Brothers and sisters, He is with you when you pray. He is with you through any and all circumstances. Homework portion B. Just read Psalm 139 again. Where can I go from your presence? He is with you and like the good Father He is. Brothers and sisters, He yearns and delights in your prayer yearns to hear from you. We're going to come forward after prayer and take communion, the Lord's Supper together. Again, Jesus gave us this as a remembrance of His mighty acts that allows us to have this connection between heaven and earth through our given language. And so when you've prayed and are ready, we will come forward and begin to have communion. But let me close in prayer and then we'll come up and take communion. Heavenly Father, we are overwhelmed that, that the truth of the text is that you hear us. That you are present in hearing us. And Father, if we boil everything away, that is enough. We can wait on answers. We praise you for the model prayer that, that Jesus has given us. And ask that we understand you are yearning and delighting in our prayers. Thank you for this day that we can be together as a family and hear your word in the name of Christ. Amen. This audio is from the Axis Church in Nashville, Tennessee, and is part of our sermon series from the Gospel of Luke, Learning the Real Jesus. For more information, please visit theaxischurch.org.